Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. You're listening to PHLY Flyers. That's right, PHLY. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me, as always, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter, Charlie O'Connor. Hey, Bill. I'm taking some time out of my busy day angering <laughs> Vancouver Canucks fans to jump on this show. What did you do to the Canucks? I said that they're probably not all that good and they're going to regress because they're collecting 45% of the expected goals and their goaltender has a 948 save percentage when his career save percentage is 911. <laughs> I don't think any of these you are just, terribly ridiculous. You just got to be a killjoy over there with your facts <laughs> and your statistics that no one can argue. I will say that like I've heard a lot about how they're playing very strong team defense and maybe like, yeah, you're going to give up more goals when you give up more chances and everything. But like, if that's kind of part of who they are, uh, the team defensive strategy, maybe it won't regress as far. And sometimes these things like in the long term of several seasons, you ultimately see who they are. Mm-hmm. But these things can last like a whole year or at least into the playoffs when you're playing other elite teams every night. Like, yeah, these things like they could very well win their division. You're yeah. like that happens. They've banked With, some. They banked a lot of points. Yeah, so they far. Ban- like that's the thing is yeah. we, we're going to talk about some teams later on. Like once we see Edmonton again and Ottawa again, like they're going to get to the 20 game mark and go, oh, shit, we have we have 62 games to do something that's mathematically difficult getting out to a hot start like not the worst thing in the world but yeah typically when you see a team like them like vancouver i will say that like thatcher demko is better than his numbers like he's a good goal i mean yes he he's a good goalie i don't think he's a 950 save percentage nobody's a nine well that's my point though all right (laughs) anyway we have uh we have some things to get to today uh, we talked quite a bit about Cam York and the uh, the importance of this game against San Jose uh, tonight. Now they take on the O eleven and one or no O ten and one O ten and one San Jose Sharks uh, losing a twelfth consecutive game to begin the season will be an NHL record. Flyers chasing history tonight. <laughs> The most important game of the year. I think we should start out with just... You've really decided this is the most important game of the year. It is. There's one must-win game on the schedule all season. Now, listen, if they end up looking strong into the spring and it's like, oh, they can get into the playoffs if they win, okay, then those are going to be must-win games. Uh, I don't believe you or I think that is going to happen. So you're just looking at this from a sheer embarrassment standpoint? Uh, From a sheer... You (laughs) cannot lose this game. You can't. It, it, it's it's off the table losing. If it goes to overtime, quite honestly, that's embarrassing. Uh, but anyway, I want to start out with the Flyers side of this. Okay. In terms of who needs a big game tonight. And I want to start out with a man we spent a lot of time yesterday speaking about. It's Cam York. Okay. Cam York benched against LA. They lose five nothing. Like the Flyers need a bounce back just in general after yeah. losing five nothing. Yeah, it was a dud uh, of the game. Th- yeah, they need to play better. Cam York is emblematic of that. I believe he's only got a goal and three points on this season. Uh, we need him to generate offense. He's got zero points on the power play thus far. I think tonight this game is as important for him as anybody on the roster. 
I think that's fair. I, I, I wouldn't, I think you might be over exaggerating it a bit. I'm obviously not on this trip yet. I'll be joining the trip tomorrow, but, uh, the Charlie travel- only going to Southern California has no time for San Jose. Nah, I mean, it's, it's very expensive. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the reporters who are on the first leg of this trip did ask John Tortorella yesterday, did you speak with Cam York? And basically Torts said, yeah, I talked None to them. None of your business. I, no, he said, I talked <laughs> to them on the ice. Like, what do you mean? And then, he, then it sort of hit him. He's like, oh, you mean because of Saturday? No, Slate's completely clean. It's fine. No worries. Just, like, like He's like, I would have benched him again, but I'm not mad at him. He just didn't play well on Saturday. So I don't think this is... This is quite a make-or-break game for Cam York and maybe the way that we thought it might be so given the looming Anaheim the, game the, and precedent. The conversation yesterday comparing what Cam York's about to do on Friday playing his hometown against the Ducks and how it might compare to the Sanheim benching in Calgary, in Calgary right. last season – May have been overstated. Possibly. That said, I do think it's important. <laughs> he had a bad game on Saturday. He's had a little bit of an up and down start. The underlying numbers are great. The eye test hasn't been stellar. He hasn't done anything on the power play. Yeah, I think it's important for him to to take a, a big step forward and show that the Saturday game was a one-game aberration, that that's not him, and that against a weak team, in San Jose, the weakest team definitely this year, possibly in quite a few years, that he can play well against them. So, yeah, I think it's important. I also just saw your eyes light up, so I think you might have just seen the big I news. Just saw, well, I just recorded <laughs> my best bets segment for tonight, and this is kind of the thing about doing uh, doing these early for, you know, <laughs> we're doing the show at two. I did the best bets prior to the show. I did not see the lineups. I didn't even really think to check the lineups. In fairness, um, this only came out about eight minutes ago. So it was while <laughs> I was recording. So just all my Morgan Frost bets. Um, don't bet them. Don't take them. <laughs> I, those things get, when the guy doesn't dress, they get voided. So it doesn't oh, okay. matter. Okay. Uh, I haven't placed it yet. I was going to place them after we did all this. I was just telling people what I plan on betting, but Morgan Frost, zero points on the season. I was like, okay, well, here's your chance, kid. And uh, not going to get that chance. John huh? Tortorella said, nah, I get, we should have started with this. Um, Morgan Frost scratched. Apparently. So, well, this literally, again, that means this got announced about, about nine minutes ago as we were sitting down to start the show. So okay. I'm not blaming us for not no, knowing this. This I, is this I is like immediate. This. this is breaking immediate news. breaking news that the Flyers tweeted out. Um, yeah, Sean Gattari is going to be back in the lineup, and wow. it will be Morgan Frost who is coming out for one. Morgan Sean Gattari. Frost comes out. That's man. I mean. He's been playing well. Uh, we, we've talked about he's had opportunities to produce points. His, and that's kind of the, the life of the playmaker. You ultimately need your line mates, your teammates, to bury the chances you create for them. Uh, that has not been the case. Morgan Frost is in a rotation. He is a bubble player yeah. on this team. That is... Uh, I don't even know. Like... He's an NHL player, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like watching yeah. him play, is he a difference maker? Not to this point. We were waiting to see if he could take that step and be, all right, yeah, 45 points is nice. If you're going to be a points producer, if that's your thing, you got to be 0.75. You got to be three quarters of a point guy. Yeah. If all you do is produce points, then exactly. you really have to do that a lot. He has zero. Yeah. So I get it. But like, man. 
That PhD line stays intact, I assume, and Morgan Frost comes out. What does this say about, I mean, we've heard they're not looking to trade him, but I guess they wouldn't tell you they are if they are, because that's stupid. Everything that I've heard tells me that, you know, when teams have at least given, given the courtesy call of, hey, if you're interested in moving Morgan Frost, like, let us know. And those teams have been told, now nah, we're good. We want to make this work with Morgan. Morgan Frost wants to make this work in Philadelphia, too. He hasn't requested a trade. Now, to me, I think what this, what this most says is it's just more confirmation that the person who makes the lineups, when something goes wrong with the team, his first instinct is bench Morgan Frost. Yeah, like that's the uh, we talk about the game that uh, we talk about the game Cam York played. He was minus three, gets benched for the third period, and John Tortorella says, "Nah, slate's clean, everything's cool." Uh, we talked about Owen Tippett and Noah Cates, both minus three in the Kings game. They don't come out. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Frost, however, is. The I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but he's he's the guy who gets singled out time and time again. It does seem like it. Yeah, like, I like Noah Cates and everything, and I do think he has a higher chance to be part of the hashtag next great Flyers team. Uh, at least more of a chance than Morgan Frost. But like, I, he has to be in the lineup every game, and Morgan Frost doesn't. That's what we're learning. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Odd to me. Yeah. And I, 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 I think kind of where we fell on this when the last round of, of scratchings was coming to an end was neither of us are sure if we are 100% sold on Morgan Frost as part of the long-term solution. But one of the primary goals of this season is to figure out who is and who isn't and that it's dumb to be scratching someone who at least could be over say someone like Ryan Paling who if he's going to be part of the solution it's doing it, what he's doing right now yeah there's no next there, level for Paling or if there is what is it it just Scott Lawton, it, it just makes tops. it yeah, yeah it makes him into a good fourth liner rather than a replacement level fourth liner so to me it's dumb to not give Morgan Frost a full opportunity this season in as many games as possible to answer the question one way or the other whether he can score enough to outweigh the fact that he's not a great two-way player outweigh the fact that he's kind of more just a a point producer okay let's give you a full season without you having to go in and out of the lineup to show if you can score enough where we need to make a place for you where you know if you're a 65 point a year guy then yeah we need to figure out how to make that fit because that's valuable and that's important it doesn't seem like John Tortorella shares that sentiment his view is that hey if the Flyers have a bad game I need to shake things up Obviously, like they need to. Get, if Sean Gattari is healthy, they need to get him in the game. He's yeah, a real Coots good player. Is playing I, that part, I yeah, understand. But, but that Morgan Frost is the first guy out, and that just shows you what the coach thinks of Morgan Frost. It's just like John Tortorella is not going anywhere. Morgan Frost is signed this year and next year, which are his age twenty four and twenty five yeah. season. And then there's still RFA control afterwards. And the, like, if you're not at this point in your career, established as an everyday guy, you're not one. Like, this is the most important season of Morgan Frost's yeah. career, yeah. and he is odd man out whenever the situation yeah. arises. Like, the Couturier injury, it was, all right, well, Morgan Frost draws back in. Uh, we're going to move Paling out, whatever, but as soon as, like, okay, now we can have everyone in. As soon as, as soon as there's a, as a, a lineup log, Jim, yeah. Uh, uh, it's Frost. I, 
man, if I'm him, I'm asking out. Like, and he hasn't yet, and he's going to... We'll never know if he does, probably. No, I mean, we will, because it, it, it gets leaked out pretty quick. It gets leaked <laughs> a lot, but, like, I'm just... He could get traded, and we never know it was his request. It could just, like... But we might. I mean, I, if I, just, I do my job well, I'll know. <laughs> I just... I'm just kind of baffled by this, and I shouldn't be. Again, we've probably spent in the first, you know, what, two months of this show more time talking about Morgan Frost than is warranted considering the player he might ultimately be. It's been a big story, though. But, like, it's about the kind of season this is, and it just... If we're not finding out about Morgan Frost, then what are we doing? Well, I think I think the answer, and again, this isn't an answer that I agree with, because I think Morgan Frost should be in as many games as possible, because I want to find out what he is. But the, do they just think they know? Well, that that that's what I was going to say. The response that John Tortorella would give you is that what Morgan Frost is right now is not a player I need to prioritize, and that's really what it boils down to. I think there are people in the organization that think higher of Morgan Frost than John Tortorella does, but. Like at some point, your actions tell the tale, and the actions of John Tortorella tell us that he doesn't think that highly of Morgan Frost. He just doesn't. And look, like yeah, he doesn't have any points in six games. He's a scorer who's not scoring. But if you're watching the games, like look, I don't think he played that well against LA. But I don't think many players played that well against LA. I think there were other games during this scoreless run since he's got back into the lineup where if a couple guys finish some wide open chances. Morgan Frost is sitting on two or three assists right now. Is that great? No, but it's not bad. But if Tyson Forster, like, just as a guy who I think has to have a big game tonight, you know, going back to the conversation we were having prior to me finding out about Morgan Frost, (laughs) like, if Tyson Forster has three goals instead of zero, Morgan Frost's point total looks a lot better. Yes. Like, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I don't think Morgan Frost has been particularly impressive on the whole this season, but I don't think he has been awful and i think you can absolutely make the case that the same issues that are plaguing morgan frost are also plaguing tyson forrester and morgan frost has now what is his game 13 something like that something like that game 13 i think this is game 13 because they're, they're, they're five after five six and one so this is game 13 he's played six games after tonight he will have sat for seven games like if if we're judging morgan frost and tyson forrester according to the same parameters Tyson Forrester probably deserves to have a few more scratches, and Morgan Frost just probably deserves to have a few fewer. I just, at a certain point, like you said a couple minutes ago, there are people higher up in the organization who might believe in Morgan Frost more so than the coach. Yes, we I have do that. we have discussed that the man who once wore Morgan Frost's number, number forty-eight, Danny Briere, is one of those people. If he believed in him as much as we think he does, would he not go to bat for him at some point? Do you think that those conversations have happened yet? Is this something in, like, yeah, Briere likes Frost, but uh, yeah, I'm not using up. If I have six arguments, then I'm going to get in with John Tortorella and I'm hoping to win four of them. I'm not going to waste one of it on Morgan Frost. Like, what do you think the dynamic well, I mean, is right now? In fairness, and look, I, I see where you're coming from there, and I don't think you're necessarily, necessarily wrong in terms of what Danny Breer's, Danny Breer's calculation might be. That said, like, Danny Breer doesn't have to only win four of six arguments with John Tortorella. He is John Tortorella's boss. If he wants to, well, he could win all six. I, I, I'm saying he could. He could just say, dude— Bam, start Morgan Frost or I'm firing you. Like, he, he does have that power. I wonder if he actually, like, 
by how we believe front offices and organizations are set up, yes, he is John Tortorella's boss. However, we have heard this thing with with Torts, Jonesy, and Danny. Yeah. It's we've referred to it as a triumvirate. It's a collaboration. It's a collaboration. This is a team. We have our, you know, internal discussions, and then we all kind of you know, that's the way I mean, that's the way all businesses work. Like you and I might disagree about something what we're gonna do on the show. We come to a conclusion, yeah. and then whether you won or I won, we carry out what the plan was because that's the fucking plan now. Yeah. I wonder how much authority Danny actually has over Torch. I think it's reasonable to say that. Like, can we just go, if they have a knockdown and, like, should John Tortorella be fired over scratching Morgan Frost? No, No. of course not. If you believe in him as the coach of this organization, that's fucking stupid. But just the idea, if they have a knockdown drag out and Danny's like, you're fired. Like, is Jonesy going to go to him and be like, you can't. No, he no, he's, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't do that. Like, yeah. I really want. And well, that's another thing. Like, we just might never know. Yeah. But we that's can draw, the type of thing we probably will. We can know. draw certain conclusions. Like, uh, I think John kind of over the over the NHL roster. He has the authority. I think we can draw the conclusion that at the very least, Danny Briere, if if we're we're presenting this dichotomy correctly, and I think we are, in that Briere likes Frost more than Torts. That at the very least, Briere has either been swayed by Torts' arguments that so far Morgan Frost has not been that impressive, and that this is not going to destroy his development, this is not going to destroy his place in the organization for him to sit. Either that or Briere has made the calculation that this isn't a hill worth dying on. And I think it's reasonable for you to speculate that if he's made that calculation, then maybe he's not as willing to go to bat for Morgan Frost as we thought he might be. Like, I just think of uh, you and I both often quote Moneyball. We're both big fans of that film. Yeah. Like, I just remember the like they're trying to get Hatterberg at first base and the manager wants someone else. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I control the lineup, so you can't tell me who to play and who not to play. And so ultimately, Billy Bean Bean just fucking trades the guy. He's like, well, now you can't play. (laughs) Like, if we were to see Ryan Paling traded, like, I don't think we're going to see Noah Cates traded. That would be surprising. But I'm just like, somebody who is in this log jam, and then, like, then now you're forced to play Morgan Frost. Then I would be, okay, Danny actually does believe in Frost. If we don't see that happen, then I got to believe... Yeah, he's fine with it. I also think that something that might be playing into this, and this might be the way that Tortorella is positioning it to Briere, is that we need to see more from Morgan, and I want him to respond to this. When, I want him to respond to this by basically saying, like, fuck John Tortorella. When I get to go out there the next time, I'm going to prove that asshole wrong. And, like, you know, that might be the way that it's being presented. Where Because, look, Danny, I think, does like Morgan Frost. But Danny Briere can read a depth chart and he can see that, hey, Jean Gaturier looks pretty much back. Cutter Gauthier's coming. Noah Cates probably ain't going anywhere. So th- the spot for Morgan Frost in this lineup. And I don't think he can play wing. Yeah, it's not as obvious. So 
maybe they are looking at it, maybe the way Torts is positioning this to Danny is, hey, if Morgan Frost is going to be a part of this, he has to bang that door down. And if he if he's going to be a guy who can bang that door down, he has to be a guy who can respond to something like this when he comes back in and then just explode and, and give me 15 points in 10 games. Oh. So... So, like, that might be the way it's being positioned, and maybe Breer has thought about it, and he's like, yeah, you know what, that's fair, because as much as I like this guy, and as much as I believe in this Is guy— Is he better than yeah, X, Y, and Z? Yeah, and does he—does this version of Morgan Frost actually fit in the future? And Breer might be like, I'm not sure, but maybe a Morgan Frost that we push, and we push, and we push, maybe that one can be. So that could be part of it. That could be the way that Breer is justifying it to himself. We're talking about decision-making right now, and— Listen, I think this time of year we could we could all use a little help making some better decisions. You know, I would agree fo- with that. I know with football every Sunday, tons of hockey games, not to mention holiday parties, everything else going on this time of year. I'm going to be taking in a lot of calories. And as Barry Schaefer points out, look at Charlie. This guy lifts. Oh my God. Uh, in comparison, look at Bill. He probably doesn't. Uh, <laughs> wow. I'm going to be taking in a lot of calories and a lot of carbs, specifically as a beverage. Now, I'm told that's not the best choice for maintaining a healthy lifestyle, but that's where Hero Bread comes in. Hero Bread makes sliced, uh, Hero makes sliced breads, buns, and tortillas that are available on Hero.co and Amazon. I've been making a ton of quesadillas with, uh, with the tortillas, but all of their products have hit the spot for me. This bread is soft, fluffy, and delicious, and right Right now, Hero Bread is offering the PHLY fam 10% off their first order. Just go to Hero.co and use our code PHLY to save on Hero Bread today. That's Hero.co and save 10% today. And don't just take it from me. Our very own Kelly Hinkle, the uh, the heart and soul of Broad Street Hockey, is a Hero Bread fanboy i guess fangirl and uh, she uses hero bread she is a, and an loves absolute it. like yeah. regular consumer of hero bread. she absolutely loves it she gets the thumbs up so if you're looking at me like i'm i'm gonna take like lifestyle advice from bill now kelly runs like 5ks she like probably can lift squat she, more she than runs, me <laughs> she runs over the bridge like yeah. on a regular basis yeah she just absolutely and <laughs> she is all about hero bread so take it from kelly take it from me take it from charlie hero.co 10 percent off uh using code phly all right back to uh back to tonight's game so morgan frost out that is not something I saw coming, but I guess once we talked about yesterday how Coots and as well as Carter Hart making the trip and they were skating, it was at least a possibility. I guess in my head, I was like, oh, that's not going to happen until the weekend, though. But the Couturier injury kind of popped up out of nowhere. So the fact that it appears to have cleared up kind of yeah. quickly shouldn't be surprising, I guess. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think given this team's history, I, it's like, oh, injury popped up out of nowhere. See you, Sean. But at least yeah. that wasn't the case. No, I, I mean, I think honestly, and this is somebody who I like a lot, but if you were going to point, because it's abundantly clear that they don't want to bench Forrester or Brink. Now, Brink certainly doesn't deserve to be benched. He's legitimately in the race for the Calder yeah. at this point, which is <laughs> wild. Forrester. In they, a deep-ass yes, field. Yes, Like, it's insane. The, the Calder race this year is going to be nuts. Yeah, and he's very much in it. Yeah. But, so he's not getting scratched. Forrester, could, you could justify it, but it's abundantly clear they don't want to. And part of it, I think, is that they view this as a very is, as a more important developmental year for him than they view it for Frost, who is older, has more NHL experience. To me, the real, like, if you're going to say, okay, you got to, you didn't, maybe you don't want to mess with the fourth line because reasons, who comes out? I like this guy a lot, but like, 
Noah Cates doesn't have points in his last four games. He was minus three last game. He's been minus six over the last four. Like, if you wanted to, you could make a case that Noah Cates deserves to be scratched more based on the past four games, which is all that Morgan Frost has gotten because he was scratched for two weeks before then, that Noah Cates deserves to be scratched more. But again, this goes back to what I was saying where John Tortorella very much is convinced that Noah Cates is part of the solution long-term. He is not as convinced about Morgan Frost. So when he has a choice between one of those two guys, it's Morgan Frost who gets a scratch and not Noah Cates. And that's, uh, I guess, like my list of dudes who need big games tonight, or at least like I want to see, like you're out there against an AHL team. You should beat the shit out of the Sharks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Noah Cates is one of those dudes. He has one goal and four points on the season. I would very, very much like to see him find himself on the score sheet with a multi-point night tonight. Like he gets big minutes against top lines. Guess what the Sharks don't have? Anyone who matches up with him in terms of a top line guy, like, you know, like if he's out there against their second line, he's better. Yeah. He's a yeah. good player. I want to see him go out, but he hasn't been great lately. As you're pointing out, like we talked yesterday, one of the mailbag questions, is he trending towards a sophomore slump? And it's, well, it's early. His underlying numbers are pretty good. Um, it's early, but the yeah. thing is, is that he's getting a chance to play his way out of this. Yeah. Whereas Morgan Frost is not. Do you <laughs> like I, I'm putting a lot more stock in tonight's game than you are because that's me. Uh, but <laughs> like, I mean, you're allowed like, to. But when you see a an obvious mismatch like this, you see Noah Cates like, OK, you get a lot of tough shifts. There aren't any tonight. Do you, don't you need to kind of see so when you believe he has a matchup advantage don't you kind of want to see it? Like, okay, you got chosen to play over Morgan Frost. Show it. Like, that's something I yeah, want to see tonight. I, I agree. I mean, look, I'm not saying this game isn't important. I'm not saying that guys like, I, mean, I really want to see Tyson Forrester finally get a goal tonight. That's Because huge. he desperately needs a goal. Yep. Like, apparently, and again, I'm not on this trip, but apparently they stuck Forrester at net front on the power play at practice oh. yesterday. And like, on one hand, he has that great shot, but the way Tortorella explained it was like, look, I'm just hoping like a puck bounces off him and goes in and that loosens him up. And he needs you know one. what? He's a big dude. Why not? Yeah, no. He's, when we talked about the insanity of Morgan Frost in front, <laughs> like Tyson Forster at least has the build for it. Yes. Like he's yes. a bigger dude. I want him to be more of a sniper than your prototypical power forward. Like I don't want him to be Mike Knubel. Yeah. But if that's another element to his game and that takes him from potential 25 goal score to potential 35 goal score because he has that extra element, dope. And if it just gets him out of his own head. And like for right now at this moment, like, yeah, if he takes one off the elbow and it goes in, they they need that. Yes. Like he yes. needs it for him. Exactly. I'm expecting two out of four starts. I would, I would love that. Love to see that. But yeah, it, and I think this is another thing that it's a real bummer for Frost because... Like, like here's you, his chance. Well, you, like, you know... And I'd like to think that players aren't necessarily doing this, but you know they are. They all had this game circled in their heads. It's like, man, I'm not scoring that much. We got the Sharks coming. No, here's that, the that's going to be the slump buster. They're giving up almost five goals a game, and yeah. they're getting 869 nice save percentage. They're fucking horrible. <laughs> this is pad the stats night. Yeah. Like, if you have no points like Morgan Frost, you want some. This, if, yeah, you're Owen Tippett, if you're Owen Tippett and you only have two goals and that's not enough, you want to come out of this with four yeah. goals. This is the equivalent of being on a power play. Yes. It's like, this is where you get your points. Yeah, you get, your, 60 
good at power play. You, you get your points against the Sharks. You get they, your points against the bad teams. The Sharks only get 41% of the total shot attempts throughout a game. Wild. You're basically on a 60-minute power play. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This is the night. And now certain guys won't be, well, one guy won't be afforded that opportunity. I can see that being a bummer. But hopefully he draws back in on Friday or Saturday. And he does take this as... Fuck you! I'm gonna go out yeah, and but, do my but thing. Will he? But will he? Well, Probably not. Because like we saw what yeah. happened. We saw what happened the last time. He got he got scratched. They, they started thought, playing well. Well, you thought, oh, it'll be one game. Then they won. They beat Vancouver. They beat Edmonton, and it was like, oh shit, we can't get him back in because the team's playing so well. If they do what they're supposed to do against the Sharks and beat the crap out of them, I don't think he comes back in for Friday. Do we know who's in net tonight? Uh, Arison, apparently. It is Arison. It is Arison. Hard is not yet ready. Cal Peterson is the backup again, but it seems like the possibility is open. I think I think Kevin Kurse reported that yesterday because he's on the trip. Um, I think he reported that there's some thought that, that Hart might be back for the weekend, which therefore would prevent them to have to see Cal Peterson play another game. Beautiful. I think that's probably what they're hoping for. Uh, the only... Listen, I am all for if uh, if we get down to it, like all of March... Cal Peterson starting, sure. But, like, right now, we're trying to evaluate dudes. Yeah. And it's impossible to evaluate guys if one out of every three shots is going. I did make that joke <laughs> in the press box that, like, the Flyers have made it very clear that they are not tanking. However, at least now they know that if they wanted to, they could. Oh, they have an option. <laughs> like, they have, they have the button. Like, yeah. all you got to do is push this button and the tank is on. Yep. But I do not want to see them push that button until they're, like, definitely out of right. it. Because it's impossible to evaluate guys. All right. Uh, I do want to talk just a little bit bit about the sharks themselves okay let's do uh, it and just what makes them so bad um you have a lot of interesting data I, points i here. just i mean just <laughs> just to start the like in case you're wondering like i said going winless or i guess losing your first 12 would be an nhl record so the flyers can Set and help the Sharks set a record by defeating them tonight. Suddenly, ten thirty p.m. on the East Coast is must must watch television I, for Flyers. For I hockey can, fans. we're not doing a post game tonight, and like Ava's like, oh, so we can like. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm gonna be watching. <laughs> like, I, like you can't just watch in the morning. No, this is the biggest game of the season. Uh, but just like I asked, I proposed the question: Why are the Sharks so? Bad, like they're mm. g horrible save percentage. They don't get any shots. They don't get any scoring chances. They give up almost thirty-eight shots There's a game. A lot of reasons why they're bad. They're, they're just bad. Why? Well, first of all, uh, Mario Ferraro and Kyle Burrows are their top defensemen by minutes. They both play like 21, 20 minutes Man, a game. How? how how much has Mark Edward Vlasic fell? Like, this is a guy who... He makes 7 million bucks a year. This is a guy who at one time was a legitimate top pair defenseman. Like, one of... I think he made he made Team Canada. Like, this was... This isn't a guy who... This isn't a Jack Johnson situation where hockey men convinced themselves that a bad defenseman was good. Vlasic at one time he was, was... very good. Was very good. And now he's just trash. And, like, uh, th that's the defense offensively. Now, actually, in their... Uh, in their 10-2 loss to the Penguins, okay. they managed to score two goals, which took their goals per game average from 1 to 1.09. Making progress. They now have, in 11 Yikes. games, they have 12 goals in 11 games. Yikes. It's truly unbelievable how bad their offense is. And then you look at the goaltending. Our old pal, Mac Black, Mackenzie Black, as well as uh, Capo Kakinen and something called Magnus Krona. 
again, this is one of those like, is that a real person? No. Is that a real person or is that a paint color? <laughs> <laughs> they are they are giving the team 869 goaltending, which is just absolutely hilarious. So I proposed the question, why are they so bad uh, on Twitter? And I heard back from my old post-game co-host at Jay Hockey Fan. He's my guy. Uh, he said, this is the problem with the Sharks. They don't have enough talent to create easier scoring chances, so their forwards and D pinch down to cheat for potential chances in the hopes of creating something, leading to odd man rushes and massive breakdowns. And, of course, with bad goaltending, that's never good. And, like, he showed me a clip of uh, the Sharks bench, I think, from Saturday's game. And it's just someone on the bench, probably the coach, just screaming, Chop, stop cheating for fucking offense. Oh, like, nice. like just sc- because they keep getting caught in these situations. And I think back to, uh, I think back to last season with all of a sudden, like we always heard Kevin Hayes, good two way player, you know, like that was his thing when they signed him. Like, no, he's not going to be a point per game guy, but he'll give you some offense and pretty, at least decent defense. He can play on the PK. And then suddenly John Tortorella comes to town and goes, yo, this dude is horrible defensively. And he's not even a center, not even a center. And I tried to make the point, like this team cannot score. He's a guy with some offensive talent. Yeah. He's trying to cheat for a little bit of offense, and that's why it looks like he's not back-checking. That's the Sharks' entire team. Yeah. like That's what it looks like is going on there, is they are so devoid of offensive talent. And Jay said that the only guys who are creating consistent chances are Hurdle, Zetterland, and Eklund. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Hurdle has like three points. Yeah, well, Hurdle... Hurdle's their big guy because really the, the two remaining guys on that team are Hurdle and Logan Couture. And Logan Couture, Couture has, not, has not yet played this year because he's injured. So that basically leaves Tomas Hurdle, who, real good player. I, I like Tomas Hurdle. But if he's like, he's literally the only guy. Now, he, your, your buddy uh, with J.H. Hockey. J. Hockey. J. Hockey fan. Yeah. fan. Like, William Eklund is interesting because he was a, a high draft pick. He's got talent. That said, like, from what I had heard from people, he was. He was good, not amazing in the AHL last year. And it just it, it doesn't it doesn't look like he's going to be the impact guy they hoped they were going to get, at least not yet, when they took him. I think he was like a 10th or 11th overall pick. So there's talent there. Then you got guys like Anthony Duclair who like, look, you put Anthony Duclair on a good team where he can be a secondary scoring option like he was with Florida, and he's a darn good player. But if he's one of your offense drivers, you got a problem. And I think that's like, like he is one of their big name players. And again, as I said, on a team like Florida, he's great. Like he'll rack up the points because he's not getting tough no, minutes. He's, but if he's, he's a, a guy you got to shut down, you can shut him down. Yeah, he's a fine middle six player. It's just like, oh yeah, he's one of our three best offensive players. Yeah, and like they're they're trying to they're trying to rehabilitate uh, Philip Zadina who was a high drafter from Detroit. They're like, hey, maybe we can turn him into something. He disappointed in his first spot. Maybe we could turn him into something. And like. That is doable. And you saw the Flyers do it with Owen Tippett a couple yeah. of years ago. But the difference between the Flyers and the Sharks is that like, as much as we shit on the Flyers and as much as we said they have nobody, they did have some pieces that could be useful line mates for a guy like Owen Tippett who was trying to find himself. Like, Who are you going to put Philip Zazino with aside from Hurdle? Charlie, like, we joked coming into the year that the Flyers have one of the worst blue lines ever assembled. And like, it turns out... No, 
Travis Sanheim can handle these minutes. Yeah. Like uh, Zamula is ready to play. Sean Walker, not just a guy. He's actually kind of good. He's pretty good. Yeah. Like they actually have some pieces. I, I don't know who that like Vlasic. That's it. And he stinks. He's like a hundred years old. <laughs> not, like, not, not good anymore. These guys are. And I heard this on a, uh, like in case, okay, well, maybe they can just move out their big money guys and really rebuild. Like Couture's making a lot of money. Hurdle's making a lot of money. Vlasic. Well, I heard this on What Chaos yesterday, okay. the uh, our new national hockey show with uh, Pete Blackburn and DJ Bean. It's pretty good. I, I've been enjoying it. Um, they can really only move one. Because they already have retained salary slots with Eric Carlson and Brent Burns. I actually didn't know so that. So they only Makes have, sense, though. Yeah, yeah, I just checked cap friendly, and yeah, they they only have one more retained salary slot. And it's like, all right, we moved Hurdle. Uh, we're still stuck with Couture and Vlasic. Yeah, we're just yeah. paying. Well, these- I, I think they're stuck with Vlasic regardless. Well, yeah, like, that stinks now. Yeah, that's just a horrible contract. At least Hurdle like and Couture more, are still good. It's like three more years at seven mil. Yeah, for they're that. just gonna have to and eat he's that. like he's thirty six. Yeah. they have to buy him out. Like, yeah, that's it. They probably will buy him out at some point. I would think once um, it becomes I gotta do, mildly possible. I got to do the game time read. And since we're talking about how bad the sharks are mm-hmm. i just i gotta open up game time and see what tickets are going for hey i enjoy, i've i've went to a couple games in the shark tank well, i will say used to it, have a really good it, it, it's a fun atmosphere actually um one of my buddies hilariously enough given the the twitter discussions of today one of my best buddies from college is a canucks fan and we had his bachelor party in san francisco because it was like we want to take him to a canucks game we don't want to have his bachelor party in vancouver because he grew up there. So let's do a fun city. We had them when they were playing the Sharks, and we got like a whole package. It was great. Shark Tank's a fun atmosphere when that team's good. They're just not good anymore. And so you can get a bunch of tickets in like the $30 range. I was actually hoping to see like, like $2. Or, I was really ho- <laughs> hoping to see like, I'll pay you. You, know, yeah, like, you yeah. take these tickets and I'll drive you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so game time is where I use to uh, it's where I use to get my last minute tickets because buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy and theater near you with killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive deals, uh, get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. The game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress of game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, I think that's like... That might be more than enough on the sharks, quite honestly. <laughs> well, like, okay, so it's one thing so interesting well, that they're horrible. Well, like, this well, is hockey. But one thing I want to talk about with the sharks, okay. though, which is probably the one thing that the Flyers have to worry about a little bit, is they obviously had the two straight horrible games. If this team has any pride whatsoever, you would think they're going to come out as hard as possible. I believe yesterday, Mike Greer, the general manager, basically, instead of making David Quinn, the head coach, and the players speak to the media, Greer went up in front of the media and essentially said, like, we're embarrassed. Our like our fans should know that. And we promised that this is going to get better. In some ways, it was meant to 
kind of is like a shot at Quinn in a way because it's like, hey, dude, you better. I know this team ain't great, but we shouldn't be losing 10-1 and 10-2 in consecutive games anymore. If this team has any sort of fire whatsoever, you would think that the GM coming out and basically calling everyone out in front of the media 48 hours, 24 hours before, like that should spark them as much as it can. That said, they're so bad that the Flyers should still win. They just maybe like given that if they have any sort of fire inside whatsoever, they shouldn't be losing 10 one. <laughs> we talk about the Flyers lack of high end talent. Yeah. They have considerably more talent than the oh. Sharks. Oh, like hundred percent. We like, okay. Uh, games like the Kings game. Sometimes that's just going to happen if the Flyers don't bring their a game. But I said this yesterday, like, I think it's actually going to work against the Sharks because no one wants to be their first win. Like teams are actually going to go in and not overlook them because, oh my God, like the embarrassment, like especially coming, you got to get on a plane again. Like you got to get on a plane with John Tortorella and fly to Southern California (laughs) after you lose to the fucking winless Shark. No, like I I would want to avoid that at all costs. And just one last thing on the Sharks here. If they have any ounce of pride, I get it. After the first 10-goal game, I saw that they had one fighting major in that game, and it was halfway through, and it looks like there was some sort of interference play. I don't know, but there was one fight in that 10-1 game. In the 10-2 game, again, you surrender 10 goals for a second consecutive games. Not a single fight. They have no pride. It's over. Like, maybe this calling out thing, maybe that wakes them up. I don't know. I think the first time you surrender 10 goals should have woken you up a little. And then you go out and do it the very next game. Like, I just think back to that. It was seven, nothing when the flyers just decided when Wayne Simmons was just like, fuck it, I'm fighting. And everything went wild against the capitals back in, it was 2013. It was November wow. 1st, 2013. Wow. It was 10 years ago. You're talking about the Ray Emery the game. Ray right? Emery game. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Ray Emery comes down the ice and hope he's like, no, he goes, cover up. I'm fighting you. Like <laughs> it was seven, nothing. They have been down that twice in a row and yeah. no, nothing. Yeah. And that turned the Flyers season around. Now yeah. that Flyers team considerably more talented than the Sharks team. Sure. Uh, there are AHL teams that might be considerably more talented than the Sharks team. Thanks. But like, I, I'm not saying, oh, well, you got to fight. You surrender 20 goals in two games, start fucking swinging. Like so, somebody probably should at least. Just start swinging. E- e- even if they're going to lose. <laughs> like, like, yeah. And, and that's the kind something. but that's the kind of shit too that like, the hockey people like Mike Greer. Mike Greer was not a like a face puncher. He was a tough player, and it had to infuriate him that like there was just no fight from his team. It's just what you do. Like I realized the game has changed. Not that much. Not twenty goals in two games. Not that much. All right, let's uh, let's wrap today's show up with uh, some of the leftover mailbag questions from yesterday's mailbag Monday. We'll probably not even finish these today. (laughs) It'll be mailbag Wednesday and whatever. It's just a perpetual mailbag day. Uh, But let's get to some of the leftover mailbag questions from mailbag Monday. We will lead it off with SG bunch of numbers, our old pal. SG bunch uh, of numbers. I, I love it. Like I, I say it because it's like a funny online insult, but he's a, he's a good, he always has questions for us and it's just funny. Uh, and his handle is like SG and then a bunch of numbers. Um, this is a good one. Really trying to get my girlfriend into hockey. She's a big baseball and football fan. Charlie, what's your best argument for hockey being number one? 
you know what honestly and this is this will always be my go-to you know especially when you're when you're dealing with people who are sports fans fan of other sports like it's, it's not like you're trying to get someone into sports you're trying to get someone who is already open to the concept of sports into hockey and this will always be my go-to take her to a game Hockey is so much better in person than it is on TV. It's gotten better on TV because of high definition. It's better than it used to be. But hockey is just a game where you fall in love with it because you watch it up close and you watch it in person. It's just, it's so much faster. The skill is so much more apparent. It's just fun. And ideally, take her to a game that's already a good atmosphere. Like, I mean, I'm not saying like go on a trip, but hey, like if, if the two of you are going on a trip to, to Denver because it's a cool city, take her to an Avs game. That's a blast of, a, of oh, an atmosphere to be in. They're and live, and, yeah. And like, I mean, everybody's singing all the small things by Blink-182. Nate McKinnon's flying up and down the ice. Kale McCarr's doing crazy shit. Like, that's the kind of game that turns someone from a, yeah, I like football and baseball, but not hockey, into, yo, this sport rocks. That was exactly what my thing was going to be, because mentioning football, like, I love football. I got Eagle sticker, sticker right here on my laptop. Uh, you actually pointed at the Kate May one. I but. did, because I'm, <laughs> I'm looking in the yeah. thing, and it's... I just had to give you a little shit for it's that. It's mere... I'm terrible at that. <laughs> um, like... Football's a TV show to me. I yeah. actually hate going to games. Yeah, it, like, it is I'll better go to, on TV. I'll go to like one a year just because like you got to experience it. The atmosphere is great, but I do but agree like, that it's a made for it's TV a, sport. It's a TV show. Yeah. Hockey, yeah, it, it has gotten better with the HD. Like if you go back and watch uh, like Toronto the last time like the they were in the second round. like oh, the, the Ronick. Ronick. Like yeah. that shit could have been filmed in the 70s. There's no difference. <laughs> yeah. Like you can barely Other tell. Other than the color. Like, yeah, yeah it's, like, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's, it's basically the same. Like now it looks great. But live hockey is, it's the absolute best. It's like, so good. I go, sometimes I go to my local rink and watch my old high school team and I get into it. Yeah. I'm like, this is kind of sick, even though it's like <laughs> slow-mo South Jersey hockey. Like live hockey is awesome. So absolutely take your girlfriend to a game. That's the best argument for hockey. Yeah. Uh, from uh, just the best, maybe one of the best handles on, uh, on hockey Twitter, our pal Eamon, uh, at Jin and UC. How much of the opening stretch of quality play backed by strong uh, expected goal differentials do you think is a product of the torts conditioning advantage versus tangible lasting development? I think honestly an interesting way to ask is I want to ask your opinion as well. Like let's try to put a number on it because I, I think we'd both agree that there's, there's something to that, but how much I would maybe say, let's say like 15, 20% is due to the conditioning advantage yeah like i think it's it's impactful but i don't think it's the whole thing like i see what they did and i i, I just think there's a lot that goes into what we're seeing out of this team right now like early on we're surprised by how well they're playing against really good teams and it's like all right well you look at edmonton they're a shit show all right you can kind of all right like yeah Sean Couturier makes a great play against Connor McDavid. Like that's tangible. Sean yeah. Couturier is a uh, selkie when he's at a hundred percent, a selkie contender. So it's like, okay, but also Edmonton's bad, but you look at how they beat Vancouver and like Vancouver's off, off to an awesome start. You look at how they lined up with Vegas and Vegas is the best team in hockey right now. They beat him in the last 30 seconds. Like that was a really good game. Yeah. I do think there is tangible improvement. Like, Travis Sanheim isn't playing this way because he's in really good shape. He's playing this way because he has improved himself. He's also in really good shape. Well, I mean, like, but no, but again, this is, this is why it's like a percentage. Yeah. And that's like the, like overall, like he has improved maybe his conditioning to the point where it's, 
oh, we can count on him for 26 minutes. Yeah. But that's tangible improvement from a guy who I was like, ah, I know you like him as a second pair guy. I think he's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like he has improved. You see Bobby Brink. He wasn't here last year. That's tangible improvement. You see Owen Tippett. He's a better, like, he's going to start taking over games again, I think. Yeah. Like, I j they have pieces that have come together, but the structure and now pushing for offense after last year, like, I do think there is something to torts, but I don't think it's just, oh, yeah, well, in December when everyone's caught up, things are going to go the other way. Like, I think the structure torts imparted on this team last year and now they're opening it up a bit for offense has led them to just be a better team. I, I think if you're talking about the conditioning advantage specifically, like I do think that the the first few days of camp, really the camp as a whole, but especially the, the rope skate and everything, it does drive these players to work a little bit harder in the summer just because they don't want to be they embarrassed. They don't want to be the one throwing teammates. up on the, on exactly. the, the penalty box. But I also do think if you're talking about conditioning advantages that are sustainable – like, and I'm not saying this to try to act like these players wouldn't have worked hard in the summer had John Tortorell not been the head coach. However, I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Travis Sanheim maybe doesn't put on 15 pounds of muscle in the summer had John Tortorell not challenged him to the degree he did last season. That maybe Joel Farabee doesn't show up a half a step quicker and a bit stronger this year if... John Terrell doesn't make it clear that, hey, last year I'll give you a pass, but next year you ain't getting a pass. Like, you ha you have a coach who is very much challenging these guys. And while some of these guys, yeah, they, they might have gotten in a little bit better shape for camp, but then they settle into being their normal conditioning self once the season starts. There's a few guys, Farabee and Sanheim jump out at me especially, that I think are in better physical shape in part because of Tortorella's prodding that they might be in good shape this year. I don't think they would be out of shape, but I think they maybe were pushed to be in a little bit better shape than they would have been otherwise because John Tortorella is their head coach. From, uh, from of course, a Jay Hockey fan. This hey, is yo. an interesting one. What is Cam York's offensive ceiling? Was his stock overinflated due to getting free points playing on an all-star team at the National Development Program, program with Hughes, Zegris, Caulfield, and Boldy? Conversely, is his defensive ability mildly underrated? What should we expect moving forward? I think that is a really good question. Like, we looked a lot like, oh, well, he's the power play quarterback with this amazing, but you also look and go, yeah, and if he just throws one pass to one of those guys, yeah. they're going to throw it, and then they throw it across ice to Caulfield, and he buries one, like, he gets an assist, and he didn't really do much. He was just playing pitch and catch at the point. There might be something to that. We haven't really seen his offensive game take off since a little bit last year. There was a point where he was really uh, producing, but... Not a ton since. What do you think his offensive ceiling really is? So I guess to kick it off, I absolutely do agree that some people may have overrated York's offensive ability because of the US NDTP thing. I do think that's true. Like there's an element here of like no Rasmus Ristolainen wasn't an amazing power play one quarterback. He was just on the same power play as Jack Eichel. So he racked up a ton of points because he passed the puck to Jack Eichel and Jack Eichel did Jack Eichel things. I absolutely think there's there's an element to that. And it has an impact on five on five too because Cam York would pass the puck to someone. They would do crazy things. Zegers would do a, a lacrosse goal and then boom, Cam York gets a secondary assist and he looks great. I mean, I remember watching York. I remember watching York before the draft when I was scouting him, I remember watching York at Michigan. He, 
he's a skilled player. He's a good passer. He's a he's a good to great skater. At no point did I see a guy who I thought had a dynamic element that would translate to the NHL level. Like you watch certain defensemen, like you watch, um, I mean, obviously you watch Kel McCarr, but you wow. even watch, uh, even watch the, God, I'm blanking, the the really good prospect that Montreal has, the defenseman, uh, Lane Hudson. Um, you watch him, he has a dynamic element. Shane Gossespierre had a dynamic element. You could see that at Union. It was obvious that he had a dynamic element. Yeah, he won game. a national championship yeah. for fucking Union. Yeah, like I, I never watched Cam York and thought like, man, he is going to be this dynamic NHL playmaker. I did watch him and thought this guy can be a puck mover. This guy can be a good all around defenseman who can probably be a power play two guy. I think that still holds for me. And you know, yesterday I was going back catching up on my tracking. I was tracking the Edmonton game. And that was one of the games on ESPN Plus, so I wasn't even able to watch that. So it took an hour and a half. Yeah, because I wasn't able to watch it at double speed like I can when I'm tracking games that are on YouTube TV. And Cam York in that game showed a lot of flashes of exactly what I think John Torrell is looking for from him. He was he was up on the play. He was carrying the puck through the neutral zone. He was activating in the offensive zone. So you do see it sometimes. It's not like it's not there. And I do think he has another gear offensively. I also think that if you're expecting Cam York to be at his ceiling, a 60-point-a-year offensive defenseman, I would maybe pull back on those expect- expectations because I don't think he was ever that guy. Uh, just on Cam York, something I was thinking about. I listened back to yesterday's show, and we're discussing the balancing act right. of with him and Sanheim. Tortorella wants both guys to be active, to be aggressive. But when Sanheim is doing it constantly, he's doing what the coach is asking him. But like we, we said, like in the like last couple of games, he spent a ton of time not just in the offensive zone, but like below the hash marks. What's Cam York supposed to do? Right. Maybe there's not an opportunity for it right now, but say when Risto gets back, do you want to split them up? I don't hate it. The question is then who do you put with Sanheim? If, because, I mean, I, I broke the this idea down. of Sanheim playing the right is yeah. it gives York the opportunity to play the left. But not even that, actually. And this is something for anybody who uh, I'll do a little shout out here. If you have not yet become a diehard member, I did an extended feature on Travis Sanheim for diehard members only. I interviewed him one on one, talked with John Tortorella, talked with some players. And Sanheim straight up told me that he actually thinks that playing on the right side unlocks his offense more <gasps> not just but not just in the offensive zone he likes it better carrying the puck up ice too because the he feels protected along the board he feels like it gives him more freedom to cut in yep. and just make more plays with the puck and he said he actually has found in his career that he when even when he's on the left side he finds himself when he's carrying the puck up ice to sort of like lean over to the right side to do that more and that's when he feels the most confident as a puck carrier so i honestly don't want to move him off the right side the thing is is that if you were to split cam york up with him and say put york with risto if if and when risto comes back then the question is who do you put with sandheim like i guess sealer because I don't think that you want Igor Zamula taking on the kind of minutes I that do. Travis Sanheim would like. But Nick Sealer is a third pair defenseman. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there's there's a weakness there. So I don't know. It's a tough question. They don't really have the pieces. for They it. don't really have the pieces for it. Even though I think they know that maybe York right now isn't quite ready, and maybe it's not the ideal fit. It might be the best fit right now. But look. It's a long season. Guys are going to get hurt. Guys are going to come back. We're going to see different defensive pairings. I just personally would like them to keep Sandheim on the right side for a bit longer because I think he's really, 
I think offensively and in terms of his aggressiveness and his all-nice approach, I think he's benefiting from being on the right side. I don't want to take that away I want to see him play the right side the rest of his career because I've never liked Travis Sanheim as much as I have these last <laughs> couple of weeks. Uh, pretend I'm doing this setup for the read like three minutes ago when Charlie said uh, Cam York didn't have to do a lot to look good at the uh, U.S. development program. You don't have to do a lot to look good either. All you got to do is shop with FOCO because FOCO has the absolute best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. Whether you're looking for team apparel for the season ahead, they've got overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for game day, and so much more. Maybe you need some accessories, toys, collectibles, or novelty items for your man cave, she shed, or podcast set. You've got to use FOCO for all your team gear needs. FOCO has are back for Philly sports and they have yours too. get the best gear around by using the link in the description of this show. And for all non presale items, use the promo code PHLY That's promo code PHLY for 10% off FOCO. It's better than Cam York. Uh, how's <laughs> that? Okay, that's just, it's, me. I didn't need that's to just say mean. that. Uh, real quick, a couple more questions we can knock out before the end of the show. Charlie from Adam Bortz, our old friend, can the power play be fixed with this group? How many coaches can we hang the strategy argument on? Or are we truly stuck here at the bottom until we get personnel? Yeah, I do think this is just a, maybe a coach can add through the course of this season, piece something together that they're better than, you know, 10% that they were last year. But to be at the, like 20% is basically the minimum now. 20% used to be like, all right, 20%, you're good. Now it's like, if you're below 20, you're bad. If they're going to get there, it's just going to take, they need another dynamic player or two. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this in the past on the show that it's not that, the coaching staff has done a good job. They haven't, but there's a ceiling as to what you can get out of these, of this group of players in terms of what they're, what the absolute best, most efficient version of this power play could be like the best, most efficient version of the Edmonton Oilers power play, probably like 40%. If they're doing everything right, like, and they never make a mistake over a full season, they're probably scoring something like a little less than half the time. This team, like, yeah, probably their ceiling is something like 20. That's probably about what they can do. Now, they're significantly worse than that, and the coach <laughs> yeah. should be criticized for make, for not allowing them to be better than, like, the 10% they are, but this team does have a ceiling when it comes to the power play because they just don't have enough talent. All right, uh, this will be the last one for today. I stole it from the Die Hard Discord. You can become a member of the Die Hard Discord by going to allphly.com and becoming a Die Hard member. I don't know if this was towards you uh, for your Die Hard or for your uh, mailbag article or if it was actually for the mailbag Monday, but I stole it regardless. It's from uh, BMAC in the Discord. I know it's too late for mailbag questions, but what are you seeing as Brink's ceiling with how he's playing? Could he hit first-liner territory? I don't see a world where he supplants someone like Mitchkov on the first line of the future, but I'm curious on your thoughts. I personally don't see him as a first-liner. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about Cam York, where I don't see a dynamic element at the NHL level in Bobby Brink's game. But I think he could be a darn good second liner. Yeah. Like I, I see, I've always viewed his ceiling as something like top sixer who scores 60 ish points a year. That's if he hits. And they didn't have a lot of top six quality prospects no. in the organization. They had a lot of guys who are like, well, he's a middle sixer if he hits, best case scenario. Like, yeah, Ellie Zune, fun player, but like, what's he really going to be? Is he a third liner at best? Whereas Brink, I looked at as a guy where he had a little boomer bust in him, where 
if you know if he hits, might you yeah. got a top sixer. If he doesn't hit, he might be he, nothing. He's an AHL. Well, and that's the like I've used the like the comparison between him and Frost. Like he's gonna he's gonna be that points producer. And it's like, well, if he's not in your top six, what is he? Yeah. And Morgan Frost right now, it's, well, yeah, he's he's a 40-point guy, and we need more than that out of our top six. <laughs> yeah. And Bobby Brink looks like with that, with a similar skill set, he might be that, but I still like the idea. And he, like he even says, I don't see him supplanting a Mitchkov. No, of like, course not. Organizational depth if, chart. If he supplants Mitchkov, that means Mitchkov severely yeah, disappointed. That, that might be that uh, if he... Let's hope he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love Bobby Brink. I've been a fan of this guy since yeah. they drafted him. He's been really impressive but, so but far. Let's really hope that that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right. That is all the time we have for you on PHLY Flyers for today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. We will be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. So set those alarms. I know I have to. This is going to be it's going to be uh, shady for me, but we'll see. Uh, shout <laughs> out Shady Bill. Shout out Shady Rays. But I will be here. Charlie is traveling. He's joining the team on the trip. So we're doing an early show to accommodate his travel needs. So join us then. Uh, my name is Bill Matz for Charlie O'Connor. Have a great week, Philly.